Bonjour. Moi, really, Laura. I said that a lot this week. Hello, my name is Laura. And about a week ago, uh, 13 of us from Gateway had the opportunity to fly to Port-au-Prince. And then uh, that was on Friday. And then for about three hours, we traveled down a very, very winding mountain um, and arrived at our destination in Jacmel, Haiti. And uh, we, that Saturday, we passed out flyers inviting people in the community to a crusade. And that Sunday, uh, you saw a picture. We attended the uh, church at Bossier. Um, There's a new church that's been planted at Bossier at the bottom of the mountain. And we um, came back and attended the first of five crusades that will be held at night. If you don't know what a crusade is, it's like a outdoor revival type service. Um, then uh, every morning, Monday through Thursday, we got up and went back to the mountain um, to have vacation Bible school with the children, about 150 children. Um, so we had to shuffle things around because we had planned for crafts and things like that for about 100. So um, God provided, and it was good. Um, we led rotations of crafts, teaching, and games, and then there was another group that did music, and they were all student-led. Um, so we did that four days, and then we would attend the crusades at night. Um, and then all of the guys would come back and sleep in rooms with no air conditioner. Thank you, guys. Um, and then we all would take cold showers, um, which was challenging, and we got little sleep. But despite the conditions, we saw God work, and we saw God move. Um, the crusades at night were several hours long, and I have never experienced the intense passion and worship of believers not only singing but crying out to God in prayer. The believers there are very strong, um, and the, the hearts of the Haitian people have a love for the Lord that, that I, again, I've not experienced. Um, and many believers or many people came to Christ and became new believers at the Crusades. We saw that each night. Different men in our group would preach. Um, I sang a couple of nights, and um, Alicia and Johnny got to sing Amazing Grace. Um, Charlie and Johnny would lead discipleship during the day while we were doing the, the VBS with the kids. Um, and then the, the last night I sang, and I... Um, told the Haitian people that we would be praying for them in their church, and they said they would be praying for us also. Um, I also saw God work in my life. Um, the night that Charlie preached, he preached on God doing the impossible. God is able to do the impossible. Amen? And I realized in my life, I've stopped praying for some things that I haven't seen God do in years. I'm now going to begin to pray for those things again because I believe and I know that God can do the impossible. My favorite time, however, was reconnecting with Alberto, the guy in the yellow shirt that you saw, and many of you have heard about him before. Um, we've seen him over the years since we've been there at the top of the mountain. He walked all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, which is like 25, 30 minutes by car, so it took him a while, and we reconnected him on Thursday, and um, his mom passed away years ago. His dad mistreated him, doesn't really stay with his dad anymore, um, and a lot of people make fun of him, and he has nothing. But he has our heart, 
and we have so much love for him, and we will continue to pray for him also. Overall, it was a wonderful trip, and we were so blessed and privileged to be able to go. Thank you so much for your support and your prayers to allow us to be able to go. And now my twin, Laura, is going to come up and share a little bit about her testimony as well. Hey, guys. I'm not very good at remembering things, so I, I wrote myself down. Um, so as many of you know, as many, uh, hold up. as most of you know, I am the granddaughter of Charlie and Marty Elgin, and I am the sister of Nate Payne. Um, I recently went on a mission trip to Jacmel, Haiti, and I got a whole new perspective on life. <clears throat> The way they live and what the Haitians go through on a daily basis is shocking and it's inspiring. Um, they don't have AC oh, in the park you pass by, um, <laughs> washing machines, cable, furniture, or actual beds they get to sleep in. We have so much stuff we take for granted here. Fresh water, showers, new cell phones, and fast food places. <laughs> While we were in the air conditioning church, they they worship in a hot and suffocating room that they are thankful for. During this trip, it impacted me greatly and made me open my eyes to see how blessed we all are. Some of the Haitian kids get picked on, like Laura said, um, I'm basically saying Alberto, um, because they don't have clean things, clean water, clean clothes. They don't have food. They don't have a stable home. Um, we have fresh water. Our people in Haiti struggle to get clothes, food, clean water, and even shelter. We drive by and see many kids walking on the street by themselves. Or you see women with baskets on their heads with food or clothes. <clears throat> my responsibility during this trip was to help with the crafts. My team was Stella Burton, Adelaide Howard, and our leader, Anna um, Summerford. Sorry. <laughs> um, we made multiple crafts, such as necklaces, moon gazers, and other things. Um, the Haitian children were so happy just by the little things we made. <clears throat> um, the Haitian kids would learn music and songs and dances, and they would um, teach us it, or they would sing it to us. Um, it made me so happy to see the kids learn about, about our Savior, Jesus Christ. On Sunday, July 16th, I went to my first crusade. Oh, my goodness. It was so amazing. If you don't know what a crusade is, it's an evangelic service outside at night, sometimes in the rain. It rained on us three times. And we got, you know, soaked. Um, live worship music that is very loud, so everyone around could hear so they knew to come to the crusade the Haitian people love to sing and dance everybody dances except Papa 
Sorry, Pops. <laughs> Drew, Papa, and Johnny all preached at the crusade. They did a wonderful job. Um, many people accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> Next time we get the chance to go to Haiti, I would love to go back. Banjay Beninu, which means God bless you. All right, let's pray. We'll close that up. Now that she covered it all, oh, that was wonderful, Laura. Thank you both, Laura's, for that testimony. Oh, I love how God's providence works in not knowing when they were going to share and the passage we were going to be at in John and just how things tie in so well to even what I'm going to share today. And um, It's a privilege to be before you guys. Good morning, Gateway. Morning. I want to recognize and acknowledge because it's always such a joy when he gets to be with us. One of our founding members and our dear loved brother. Let's welcome Brother Ray Bozeman. So good to have you, my friend. Always such a joy to see him and for him to fellowship with us when he can get down here from Wetumpka. So, well, as you guys know, um, or you may not, uh, our pastor Grady is in Minnesota, Minnesota, and uh, just early I have to say what? Ah, oh, geez, maybe that's is that close? Ah, oh, geez, getting close to the accent. But he's up there with the, um, some of Julia's friends or family at a wedding, and they had an opportunity to go up with the kids. And first time the boys got to fly in a plane, so it was a big deal for them, and we're just so excited. They get to be up there, so pray for them today and that they'll have a safe trip home. I think they're coming back tomorrow. But Well, I'm really excited to encourage you guys this morning and to share with you as we're going through John. Um, I want to do a brief review um, because, as Grady mentioned last week, when he taught about the adulterous woman in that situation, he mentioned how that was not written by John. It's very clear theologically through commentaries and historian-wise um, that was probably written by Luke. And someone else, but for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty and providence, they placed it there in June, in uh, John, in that section, right after John chapter 7. They finished that story in there and tied it into that place. So technically today, I'm doing part two of Seth's message, which is kind of ties in well. And it's just neat how God did it this way and strategically on putting it in in the temple and the feast and that sort of thing. So we're really going to be doing part two of what Seth talked about two weeks ago. So real quick review, I've got it laid out here. I'm going to kind of read some of this because I need to put in context. Many of you weren't here the past couple of weeks and last week kind of broke the, the chain of the chronolo- chronological order of things. So John 7, chapter 7 starts with the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a very, very important time of the Jewish history and church and their religion because they celebrate the wilderness experience when God brought the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land and what they experienced during those 40 years in the wilderness. It was established in Leviticus chapter 23 is when it's first mentioned. And so John, at the beginning of John 7, is when Jesus goes to the Feast of Booths. Why this is so significant, I hope you guys catch this. As we go through this gospel and continue to see that, how God in his providence and sovereignty strategically places Jesus at certain moments and certain times for his purposes. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's a reason for it. There's a reason he goes to the festival at this time. There's a reason he goes and experiences certain moments with certain individuals at that specific moment for his purposes. 
And at this very time, in the beginning of John chapter 7, Jesus already knew that there were Pharisees and rulers and other Jews and those in the crowds that wanted to kill him. He's already fully aware of that. And so that's a part of his posture and where he goes place to place. He knows they're coming after him and they are seeking to kill him. But in John chapter 7, verse 14, it says, In the midst of the feast, Jesus went to the temple to teach. So in the midst of knowing at this huge celebration, there's going to be thousands of people and there's an opportunity for him to come to the temple with all of these folks coming around. Do you think that when he starts teaching, does the crowds spread or do they draw? They draw, they come to him, right? So here he knows I'm coming back into Jerusalem during this large festival where thousands of people are going to be who have already stirred some things up. I know they're seeking to kill me, but God is leading him where? Right back into the middle of it right back into the den per se. And so in the midst of this, he's going straight to the heart of the temple, knowing crowds are going to gather, knowing the situation. So Jesus has constant dialogue to John chapter 7 in the temple. He starts stirring things up again. Anger is brewing. The Pharisees and the crowd and the rulers have, you know, a little banter back and forth with him. And then at one point, the Pharisees said, I'm sending officers to go get him. It's time to seize him. But on the last day of the feast, Seth did a great job two weeks ago, They celebrated the libation ceremony, and Seth talked about this, that the priest would celebrate the the remembrance of God's provision of water in the wilderness. So they would have these pitchers, and the priest would go on this long walk, and it's all symbolic, and then they would come to the altar, and then the priest would pour the water out over the altar, and then as it came down over the altar, it would run down to the people. And as the people saw that, by the thousands, they would witness the ceremony, and there was singing and psalms being sung, They would remember when God showed up in his power and his glory in the wilderness and provided water. Okay? So that's literally, they're all standing around seeing this. And Jesus is there in the midst of that. And it's also symbolic of a prophetic symbol where the Messiah or the Christ will come to satisfy their souls. So in John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Looking at the ceremony, that's what it's so strategic to see. When God placed him there, the father led him there. He's looking at the ceremony saying, if anyone is thirsty, as you see this water, come to me and drink. Let me fully satisfy you in every way. Drink of me. And Grady mentioned Seth's statement last week, which is so good, where Seth said, drink of Jesus and not religion or a certain church, but come to Jesus and drink on him. And then the outflow of that. As the scripture says, living waters will flow. And what is the living waters? It is the Holy Spirit. So as we drink upon him and drink of him, the Holy Spirit works and moves in and through us. And what flows out of us is living waters. So as usual, at that moment when he said that, more division occurred. So at the end of John chapter 7, verse 52, if you guys want to open your Bibles to that section right before John chapter 8. That is the closure part where it leads. In John chapter 7, verse 52, they have a little dialogue, the Pharisees and Nicodemus. And they answered him and said, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So that little dialogue stops there. And then from 53 on, it goes into the story about the adulterous woman. But here's the best part. Even at that moment, the Pharisees looked at the officers when they came back and said, Where's Jesus? Why did you not seize him? And they said, no, we've never heard a man speak in this way. We did not seize him. They did not bring him in. And so that's where we are today. 752, that verse leads us now 
to John chapter 8, verse 12. So if everybody would turn there, please, for John chapter 8, verse 12. That's where we're going to begin today. So if you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read a short passage here and see what the Holy Spirit has to say today. I'm reading from the New American Standard, and that's what will be on the screen as well. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you were testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written with the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege this morning to hear your word, to read your word, to declare your word, to worship you in spirit and truth. And as, as Alex prayed, God, I pray, CJ, be silent and you speak. That's all that matters. <laughs> we want to hear from you today. So we pray that you would make these words come alive and that we would see your ways, your heart, your attributes, your character, just all that you are, God, that we can be encouraged today to know you, to love you, to serve you, and to be a voice out there to advance your kingdom. So come, Holy Spirit, and teach us. Bring revelation and enlightenment to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let me set the stage here. John chapter 8, verse 12, starting at that moment. Most theologians and commentaries and things I've read aren't exactly sure of the time, which day this is. Even though Seth talked about it on the, the last day of the feast in John 7, leading through 52, some aren't sure if it's the exact same day when the, the uh, libation ceremony took place or a day or so after. But as we're about to see, it is clear that it, was, it is in the temple, as we're going to see, and there were still crowds around, and there were still some of the residual effect of the feast. People are still around the festival and things like that happening, as you're going to see why. So the when, not exactly sure, but close to that time frame. The where, look at verse 20 briefly. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Okay, That little phrase there, in the treasury, in the Greek could either mean in the treasury, at it, or by it, meaning in the vicinity of. The treasury is where the people gave their offerings. Okay, So it's a very crowded, popular area. But what's significant to this is the treasury is adjacent to, just next door, to an area called the Court of Women. Okay? And so this is the area where the women were allowed into that portion of the temple at the time, based on the Judaism, because there were sections. So it was a very crowded area with men and women alike. Okay? So that's where the treasury was near. So that doesn't mean Jesus was actually in the treasury, hanging out by the people, throwing their money in the plate, but he could have been in the vicinity of the treasury close to the court of women. And that's significant, as we're going to see in a moment. Now, who's his audience? Well, if you look here in chapter 12, I mean, verse 12 again, it says, Then Jesus spoke again to them. So who's the them? Next verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Later on in verse 22, he mentions Jews, plural. So the audience with Jesus there 
is the Pharisees and then just the Jewish people that are in the crowd coming to worship and pray at the temple. Okay, Pretty much the same gathering that Seth mentioned and talked about a couple weeks ago. So that's the setting. That's where he is and strategically in that place. So what I'm going to do briefly, just looking at the time, I'm going to read verses 13 through 20. I just want to highlight a few parts of that because Grady's going to continue on, and some of that ties into what he's going to do next week, okay? But I want to highlight a few parts of that passage of what Jesus was declaring in this dialogue with the Pharisees that he has done many, many times. Remember that. As you're, these Pharisees are talking to Jesus. This isn't the first encounter that they've had, and this isn't the first time Jesus says things or expresses things that kind of make them want to go, huh? You know, as we just read, the way Jesus communicates and says some things, it just isn't very clear sometimes. And knowing they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, that they are just dumb to it and numb to it, sometimes Jesus does that on purpose for those that are around the Pharisees to hear. So let's look at verse 13 again. So the Pharisees said to him after Jesus declared that he's the light of the world. We're coming back to emphasize that verse. The Pharisees said, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So immediately, like always, they're trying to discredit him, trying to bring something up to say, We can't believe anything you say. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I am going. But you do not know where you came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh and I am not judging anyone. So even that phrasing, I mean, do we talk like that? I mean, that's just a very unique thing. He's trying to declare something here very clear. He knows who he is. He knows who he is as God, where he came from, heavenly, that everything he says is true. And again, it's just, to me, he's just at times toying with the guys. You know, it's just the way Jesus was at times with some of this. But obviously wanting to what? Stir things. He wants these men to be thinking and have something stirring in them. Again, we got an overall arcing thing here as we hear God is God, the God the Father's purpose. Where's the end result of the purpose of all these dialogues? This has taken him where? To the cross. Everything that's said and done through all these encounters, the end result is to take him to the cross, to his death. There's a purpose behind all of it. And he says here, you judge according to the flesh. When you judge, you judge according to the world, your selfishness, your pride, the way of the world, but I'm not judging anyone. Very significant declaration here in verse 16. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. And right there, when that is declared, that is a powerful statement. I'm not alone in my judgment or my testimony because my father and I who sent me is a part of this. Isn't that amazing? Again here, he said, who sent me? What is Jesus again declaring here? I'm on a mission. I mean, what I'm doing right now is not, it's a mission from my father. Turn back to John chapter, it's not on the screen, so you guys can hold off. Turn back to John chapter 5 real quick, verse 30. Kind of added this on after the fact because it's such a significant declaration. Jesus had the same kind of discourse back here in John chapter 5. He just healed the guy from the pallet. Um, he said to pick up your pallet and walk. He did it on the Sabbath. All the Pharisees were really upset. The Jews were upset because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And through this dialogue, at the end of it, Jesus declares in chapter 5, verse 30. Love this verse. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Okay, remember Jesus saying this. He's our example, right? He's the paved the way for us. So we, when we read this, it would be something that we should be reflecting and thinking of our own. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just 
Because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who what? Sent me. The one who put me on mission is who I listen to, I hear what he says, and I obey. If you look over back in verse 16, same chapter, because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, it says, for this reason, John says, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the what? Sabbath. Major violation in the eyes of the Jews. But Jesus answered them and said, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. So right there, he's already starting to what? Equate himself. And look how they respond in verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father and what? Big, big one, making himself equal with God. Remember that phrase, you guys, because this is what we're about to see in chapter 8. Because he's making himself equal with God. And I even wrote in my little notes, it begins. Because this is what turns the tide. When he made that statement and that declaration, when they see him in that way, it changed everything. And now it's like, he's a target. We cannot have this man going around making himself equal with Jehovah, making him equal with God the Father. But what Jesus was communicating was this amazing father-son relationship and saying, we are one. When you see me, you see the Father. So now go back over to 8.16 again. So that, in a sense, is what he's saying here. We're one. I'm not alone in this. My judgments are true because I am the Father of one, and I am on a mission, and what I hear from him, I do. And then Jesus, which I love, always turns the tables on them sometimes, using their own law, their own ways. And he says, even in your law, it was written that the testimony of two men is true. So I am he who testifies about myself. There's one. And the Father who sent me testifies about me. So Jesus is expressing, based on your own law, there's two men, so what I say is true. And here's, the, here's where they go back into the discrediting. So they were saying to Jesus, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasuries, he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So even there in verse 19, and, and Grady's going to elaborate this, on this more with the rest of the passage because that little group continues to try to mock Jesus. Like, where's your dad? Where's your father? Who else is here to testify for you? And some even think they're mocking him because they know his past. They know how his mother got pregnant. And that whole dialogue where they weren't married and she had a baby. So it's almost like this mocking spirit that they did all the time with Jesus. But again, how he responds is so key. And he just puts truth out there. So I don't want to stay here this much because Grady's going to expound on that. But I want to just lay that foundation of that's how the dialogue went and what the Pharisees were saying because of what he declared and the significance of verse 12. And this is how important it is because of what is to come. So let's look there at verse 12 again, and we're going to break this down. It is just so awesome. Very, very familiar declaration that we all know. But with more study, and again, didn't even know Seth's Great job studying. I didn't even know about the libation ceremony and all those things and didn't know fully even the background in the temple about this. It's just awesome how God strategically did this. And again, look at verse 20 one more time. No one seized him because what? His hour had not yet come. Remember that. It's so significant. Because again, these guys, just want to remember, these guys, these officers were in the temple. Jesus is talking and teaching and all that. Ira, can you stand up for a second? I mean, guys, look, Jesus is talking. And you're Jesus. Oh, you're like, of course. <laughs> so here's Jesus talking. These, the officers are all listening. But I'm, guys, this is how significant. And please hear this. this. This brought such encouragement to me, just in this simple little thing of this moment, 
Jesus teaching, they're all around asking questions, and all they had to do was go, you know what I mean? This is it. Grab an arm, walk him out. I mean, they're this close. But the Pharisees came back to the office and said, where is he? You never heard this man talk in such a way. Well, what was keeping this officer from Jesus? What was dividing right here that said, you can't touch this man? The will of God. And that's significant. The providence of God. You're not touching my son till I say it's time. Period. And they're a few feet away. Thank you, Jesus. So, <laughs> Jennifer, I know. The worst thing I could have done right there for you guys. I'm just kidding. He's going to bring that one up a few times. Okay. But, guys, that alone is so significant. God's providence, his control, his sovereignty. He puts things in order. So that's a little nugget. If any of you are struggling with some, Jesus could not even be touched a few feet away because God said, nope, not time. Encourage, be encouraged with that moment. And we're going to see how that plays out. So verse 12, what a declaration. Jesus is standing in the temple going, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And why is it so significant? And the first reason it's so significant is the first two words he said, I am. Now, why was that so significant? Well, first off, John is the only gospel that has Jesus, that he encounters, and he writes down Jesus' seven I am declarations. The only gospel that does this, and it's so powerful. Jesus uses I am such and such, I am, seven times, okay, declaring who he is, what he came to do, who he is in his nature. The first one was John 6, 35. We talked about a few weeks ago. First one that Jesus says, I am the bread of what? Life. First declaration, I'm the bread of life. And this was the second one, that I am the light of the world. Huge impact before this crowd. The reason is, go over to verse 58 of John chapter 8. Same, same chapter, go over to verse 58. This is so powerful. Just think about it. These Jews are in the temple. They're finishing up the festival. They're worshiping Jehovah. And Jesus makes this declaration. In verse 57, go up. Even though 58's up there, look at 57. It says here, So the Jews said to him, and I just saw this this morning. I want you all to catch this. These Jews, don't go back, but in verse 31 it says, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. I'm putting believed in quotes. Okay? So after this whole dialogue, and we're going to hear more about it next week, there was a few Jews that said they believed. Okay? So now they're continuing dialogue with Jesus up to verse 57. Okay? So the same crowd that just heard Jesus say, I'm the light of the world, is right here. And these Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And what does Jesus declare in verse 58? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what? I am. Oh, you guys are, yeah. That's huge. Y'all hear that? Before Abraham was ever born, he's saying what? I am. I existed. I'm eternal. I was there. I was in existence before Abraham was even born. So with that, what do you think they heard when he said, before Abraham was born, I am? He's saying, I am what? God himself. And that would just infuriate. And it did. Look at the result up there in verse... 59, those that believed him picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He rocked the temple with one declaration, and it's tied into verse 12. That's the significance of the words, I am. So he said, I am the light of the world. The timing of this de- declaration is what's so great. 
Uh, Seth did a great job a couple weeks ago about the libation ceremony, unbeknownst to me as I dove in, studied, and different things. During the same time frame of the feast, in remembrance of the wilderness, they would light these giant lampstands all over the court of women near the, in the temple. Many believe that they were giant menorahs, just huge, larger than basic ones you'd see on you know, some stands or altars. But so much so when it was lit that it would illuminate most of the temple itself. So there was just this great light throughout the temple as they celebrated. And as they lit these lamps, there would be psalms sung. You know, different psalms. There were certain psalms, actual psalms that are in the Bible, that were sung for the libation ceremony. And certain psalms that were sung and danced for the lighting of the lampstands. But they would stay illuminated. And so this is so cool, and I never knew this. And this is why this is so significant, you guys. And seeing how God works and what he does for his purposes and for the salvation of his people. He's standing there declaring, I am the light of the world. Like, literally, look around. Do you see this light? Do you see these lampstands and what they represent? And when the people knew what they represented was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And then it just goes, boom. I mean, what an amazing revelation. And at that moment, three times before, and this is so great, I didn't notice this until I looked it up a little more, there was three great wilderness images respond, um, declared by Jesus in just three chapters. In John chapter 6, he declared, I'm the bread of life. And in the wilderness, what did he provide? The manna. Jesus is saying, I'm the new manna. I am the manna. Eat of me. Feed on me. I will nourish you. I'll sustain you. I will give you life. In John 7... When we heard a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, come to me and what? Drink of me. Because what? He is the everlasting water. You drink of me, you'll never thirst. You will never die as you drink of me. And this one, just in that same procession, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I am the cloud by day and the fire by night. And we're going to see what that truly entails. But what's so beautiful about these three declarations this quick in the temple is every single thing he declared in its fullness as a whole, is everything we need to live. Without it, we what? Die. He's saying, I'm the fullness of it all. I am the feast you're celebrating. Everything this ceremony for a week represents, it's me. And I've come to fulfill it. Every need of life, everything that this ceremony displays and declares, I'm here. And so look at the beauty of this quickly. Okay, Lord, help us. Just kidding. Just kidding. But this is so beautiful. The cloud by day and the fire by night. Every time I keep thinking about even when I used to watch the Ten Commandments and all the Moses movies, this part of it just astounded me as a kid and just seeing how amazing God was during this time. But in Exodus 13, 21 is the first time we see this, where God came down during the daytime. Because literally, guys, there's millions of people. It's not like we see in some of the movies where it's this little pocket of folks. You know, hey, guys, they're a little crowd. Like, millions. And how are they going to know where to go? Well, they knew someone had to show up to lead them. And even though Moses was, the, Moses was going out going, where do we go? <laughs> what does God have in mind? So he showed up in a powerful way in this way. So the cloud and the fire, first and foremost, represents God's intimate, continual, visible presence. Every day, nonstop, for 40 years. He was near so in that declaration, one of the first things Jesus was saying, I'm the pillar. I am God near you. I am present. I am visible. I am here to be with you and near you. 
I'm going to elaborate a little bit after I share the other two. The second thing it did, the cloud by day and the fire by night. First and foremost, when they got to the Red Sea, what does the scripture say? As they were backed up to the Red Sea, nowhere to go, and Pharaoh and his army was coming, what happened? <laughs> what came from heaven? Pillar of fire stood between them. So there was protection. God showed up in a miraculous way to protect his people. And even the cloud by day provided shade, and the fire by night provided heat and light for safety. So God, again, showing up and declaring, I am the God who protects. I am the God of safety to come to you. And lastly, and probably close to being the most important, other than being there present, because he couldn't do this without being present. And this was just so neat. Every day, the, even in the beginning, when the Israelites came out of their tents or whatever, they stretch and a new day was there. What do they look to? They look for what every day? That cloud. Because the cloud represented not only his presence, the cloud represented, do we move or do we stay? The guidance of God, the leading of God. Every, they couldn't budge. Now, they grumbled and complained all the time, right? But in their heart of hearts, they walk out of their tent. They look, where's the cloud? Do we stay here today, Moses, or is God what? On the move. Where's he going and we're going to follow? So the cloud by day and the fire by night represented God's amazing guidance, his leading. And the beauty of that even for us is where he moved, they moved. But when he stopped, they what? Stopped and rested and then just waited. And I think there's some of you that just need to hear that right now, that God may have his cloud or his fire just at a place that stopped for you. And the Holy Spirit just wanted to say, it's okay. Come out of your tent every day. Come out of your house every day. Look for it. And rest in him. Wait in him. Because what? He's got it. When he's ready for you to move, he'll move you. When he's ready for you to stop, he'll halt. But the key is, is being obedient to be led or not to be led. Be obedient to the Lord. So what a declaration this is. In that temple going, I am present. I am here to protect and guide and be your safety. Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, the only God with you, the only source of protection, and the one who guides. But here's the key with the rest of the verse. But this is only for those who what? Follow me. It's not for everyone. The only ones who can experience my intimate presence, my protection, my guidance, my leading, as it says here, is he who follows me will not walk in the darkness. And this Greek word is so neat, this little phrase, he who follows me. Literally, the Greek word means the one who comes and walks the same road with me. And that's what we see the picture with the Israelites. You just envision that huge group and the cloud going before them. They're walking the same road where God led. And it literally also means one who joins as an attendant or a disciple. So just like the Israelites did, knowing God provided everything for them, there was no other source but God himself. Because those that grumbled and complained and tried to do it their own way, what happened to them? They, were, they died. God's holiness was being established. He's like, you follow me? If you want to do your own thing in this time frame, out there in the wilderness with these other tribes around and armies and other peoples, there's only death. But I'm the source of life. So Jesus is saying, who walks the same road with me, come to me, follow me, will what? Not walk in the darkness. And I love the analogy because the Jews have to be thinking. We remember our forefathers. It's been passed down. We have the Pentateuch. We, we read Exodus. 
that if they did not follow the fire, they didn't follow the fire at night, they had nowhere to go. It's complete darkness. Again, what is darkness? Simply the what? Absence of light. There's no machine that emits darkness, right? I mean, we can have flashlights and, and machines that emit light, but darkness is simply the absence of light. So what a declaration here. If you follow me, if you see me as your only source that Jesus is declaring here, you will never be absent of light. Isn't that an incredible, comforting, strengthening declaration for us? And what he was saying to these people. In darkness, the actual Greek word is like due to want of light, ignorance of divine things or blindness. So Jesus is saying, you follow me. You walk with me, next to me, along the same road. And as we know, darkness comes in so many forms. Error, falsehood, our sin, our wrongdoing, the works of the enemy as he comes in. And just a little sidebar to show the significance of John as we continue to study. The word darkness shows up only 17 times in the entire New Testament. 14 is mentioned by John. Eight in this gospel and six in 1 John. So this is something dear to his heart of what God's communicating to us through John here. I don't want you to walk in darkness. And the only way you're not going to is what? Following the light. Giving your life to the light. And following me and seeing me for who I really am. I'm the only source for it. So if we follow Jesus, if we walk along that same road with him, we join with him, we will experience his light. And we don't ever truly have to walk in darkness. And then what's the result of that? We will what? Have the light of life. The word have there in the Greek literally means we get to possess the light of life. We get to possess and have Jesus living with the side of us, possessing us, and able to walk the light of life. Look at a couple more scriptures as we come to the end here. John chapter 12, quickly over here. Look how what John loves to communicate here, how important this is. John chapter 12. Because John even mentioned this, the very first part in John chapter 1, he mentioned Jesus being the light and the life right out of the gate when he declared who Jesus was. So in verse 35, Jesus said to them, again, he's quoting this, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness did not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Verse 46, look at this declaration. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Guys, this ties right in with what he declared in chapter 8. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So what is he expressing as the light? I mean, the light is referenced as the revelation of God, the truth of God, the virtues, the attributes of God, everything God is. He's saying, it's me as light. I illuminate, I emit everything God is as the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you look upon me as the light of the world, I emit and radiate the attributes of God. That's who I am. And that is what I'm offering to you. So Jesus is saying, I'm willing to take you from darkness to light, from death to life. And that is what he is offering with that declaration in the temple. You can only imagine the processing of what these people were thinking as they're looking at this temple illuminated 
and Jesus declaring this and thinking about who God was in the wilderness. Showing up in that way intimately, always available, always there to guide and direct and protect them. So how does this play out for us in just encouragement? First, for those in this room that you may still be living in darkness. You're still living blinded. You still have not experienced or come to saving faith in Jesus, and you live in darkness. I mean, remember, guys, there's only one or two. There's no middle ground, right? You're either fully walking in darkness, being an unbeliever and not experiencing the precious saving faith of Jesus Christ, or you're what? In the light. There is no middle. There's no shade (laughs) of gray when it comes to this relationship. It is one or the other. And so for those of you that are in this room that may be still in the darkness and you're struggling and you may be blinded, just as Jesus said, come to drink of me, I just want to lay before you as he would say today, come and see. Let me reveal myself. Let me take the shade away and take the darkness away and the blinders off. Please, if you're struggling this week, and this, you know this is you, and in a group this size and different folks, there could be one. Please, I'm available after. I want to introduce you to the light. Come to me after the service and let's talk if you have questions. But Jesus is here this morning ready to take the blinders off and for you to see him for who he really is through his saving grace. And for us as believers, and this is so amazing and encouraging, it's just incredible what Jesus declared here. As he declared in the temple, I'm the light of the world. I came to be intimate and near and visible and with you to protect you, to give you safety. I've come to guide and direct you through my Holy Spirit on a daily basis. As you come to me, look what he declares to us in Matthew chapter 5. This is just unbelievable. Matthew chapter 5 at the end of the Beatitudes. Very familiar passage. But look how it relates to us now after what we just heard. Verse 14, he's talking to the disciples on the mountain, which means followers of Jesus. You are the what? Y'all say that again. You are what? You're the light. Guys, that's unbelievable. I mean, the light of the world who was in the wilderness for 40 years, the God of the universe who put the stars in place and created the planets, said, I'm the light. I've come near. I've come to protect and guide and reveal and to bring you my truth. Looks at us, his children, and go, now you're the light. You radiate me. You illuminate this dark world with me. I mean, that's incredible. How humbling is that? How privileged, how astounding that we have been given that charge. Are you guys seeing this? I mean, are you getting it? I mean, we need this reminder. This is serious. This is amazing when you see for what it really is and what he's communicating. We are the light of the world, Jesus says. We're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or put it on a lamp standing. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's why I love the timing of today. We got charged with a missional heart today, didn't we? I mean, Laura's precious confession of never being in that environment, seeing the, you know, the, just the poverty and different things, how God was speaking to her. I mean, that we need to go out and be salt and light and what God has given us a charge to be here. My dad always reminded me about this scripture. He loved it. He said, we're, we're light bearers. I mean, everywhere we go, we're little, boom. And here's the thing. Technically, we don't have an on and off switch, right? 
the Holy Spirit abides in us, the light of the world's in us, we should always 24-7 be radiating what? Okay. But through our flesh and our sin, right, some of our own struggles, it may not be quite as what? Bright. But the light never is completely, because that means who's not there? And he's not leaving. He's not taking a day off. But are we going to allow him to radiate and shine in us enough that what he desires to do fully? But my father always said we were light bearers, and I love this phrase, this Greek word. Many of the traditional religions and denominations use the word for Mary, the mother of Jesus, but the word's theotokos. My dad used to always tease, man, we are the theotokos of God. I'd be like, what do you mean, Dad? He's like, well, theo's God, and tokos means to go forth or to bear or a bearer. And that's why it's attributed a lot to Mary, because Mary was the bearer of, of Jesus. But look at it in the context of what we just talked about here. God is the what? The light. It's who he is. It's who he declared to be. And so we are the theotokos of God. We are the bearer of his light. We are the one to bring forth his light and his attributes and his ways to a what? Dark world. So that's what we've been called to be. And that's why I love this passage and how it connects with John chapter 8. And what I love is, is that it's God who does the good works. He's, the world will see our good works as we let the Holy Spirit shine in and through us. And those good works in verse 16, for years I'm like, well, what are they talking about? It goes back to what he referenced in the Beatitudes, that we are good works of humility and gentleness and meekness and mercy, and that we're pure in heart and that we're people of peace. Guys, every one of us in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who is a theotokos of God, as you walk out these doors, it's like lighting a match in a dark room. Because what's outside this door? Darkness. You know, Haiti is a dark country, a dark place, voodoo, evil, false idolatry, all this. But guess what? It's no different here. We try to section off like this country is more evil. It is a dark place in Haiti. We've got to go down and fight. And that's what this team did. There was warfare going on. But the same darkness that rules there, the same demons and principalities and powers, guess what? Montgomery, Alabama. And right now, over this building, there's principalities and powers at war right this second as I'm declaring it. That's the reality we live in. And we're all called right now to walk out and go, and illuminate. Everywhere we go. So I want to encourage you today, have that new mindset, that reorient ourselves going back that we are the light bearers of God. We are the theotokos of God that we walk out of here into darkness and wherever our foot treads, the power and light of God goes. That's who we are. That doesn't change. We don't take it off at night and stick it and put it back on in the morning. It's our identity. And that's what Jesus was declaring there in the temple. You come to me and follow me, you'll never walk this way again. Follow me and I will give you refreshment. I will give you life. I will give you everything I am so a dark world will see me through you. That's what we're called to. Amen? That's exciting. That's why I'm so thrilled to hear about the team and what went on and the timing of this day that we just need that reminder, saints, that wherever we go, we are the light. And we get to, you know what's so neat about it? Today, as you walk out those doors, you go to lunch, be with family, friends, go to work tomorrow, get ready for school, the only way some people will ever experience at some point the nearness of God is you. The only way some people are going to experience the visibility and the continual love and intimacy of God is you. The only way some people are going to experience his protection and safety and coming alongside someone and saying, no, 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 don't do that, or God's word says this, and let me help you, and let's pray through this, is you. 
The only time some people are ever going to be led and guided in some circumstances is through the Holy Spirit in you. Do you guys see that? We get to be and walk out in attributes and ways. We get to partner and come alongside with God, the same God who is in the fire by night and the cloud by day. We get to be led by him every day like that. For others, every day you can see yourself getting up going, okay, Lord, I want to be your cloud. Today I want to be your fire. And if people need to see you in me, however that is, please do it. If they need to experience your nearness, if they need to experience your protection, if they need to experience your guidance, here I am. Use me for that. That's what we've been called to. That's exciting. And there are millions outside these doors that need to see that and experience it for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen? Will you join me with that today? Let's do that together. So worship team comes forward. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. The only reason I'm even able to stand up here and say anything is because you revealed your light to me. You took away the darkness. You broke through. You revealed yourself. You convicted my heart. You transformed me. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that has not experienced that yet, oh God, please let them experience your nearness right now. Your love and your mercy, how much you desire to be near to them and protect them and guide them and love them, that you created them for a purpose and a destiny, Lord for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, for those of us who are your followers, I pray you give us eyes to see and ears to hear to kind of nudge in a little closer that we can see that cloud by day and the fire by night and know when you are near. Know what you desire for us, that you desire to be close with us and guide us and protect us and you desire us to follow closely and walk with you. And the reason for it is as you, what you said in Matthew 5, so then in turn, we can be a light in a dark world, that we can be your ambassadors and people can look at our lives and see you, Jesus, because darkness is everywhere. And God, when we walk into a situation, light will come forth and the darkness will be spread and and pierced. So God, kind of stir that in us today for us that are your kids, that we would have that reorientation back, Lord, that we are the light bearers of God. We are your Theotokos that where we go, we bear your light. To bring just conviction, Lord, whatever needs to be done this morning, to bring us back to you, to focus us back into you, Lord, we ask you to do that right now as we worship you. The altar is open. You can do business with God there, but let's just focus on the Lord and what he desires for us.